your host, Jacob, the head of Thinks Labs, and I'd like to welcome you to the third quarter of 2022's edition of Thinks Trends and Takeaways, the audio version of Thinkscapes. Thinkscapes is a quarterly publication drawing from the cutting edge of the information security research community, sorting the signal from the noise. For past editions or to learn more, check out thinks.com ts. This quarter three issue focuses on content released, published, or presented since the Q2 release. This edition also marks a full year since Thinkscapes was reintroduced. Over the last year, we've reviewed over 4,400 talks, papers, and presentations, in addition to thousands of blog posts. To mark this milestone, we'll reflect on our identified trends and themes, what we caught early and would flag for readers, and what we missed. This quarter contained a large number of conferences, including the Hacker Summer Camp, as well as much expanded blog coverage. There should be something in here for everyone. As a reminder, we would appreciate your help in catching any interesting work that may have fallen through the cracks. Any papers, presentations, or blog posts are welcome. Please send them to ts at thinks.com. This issue includes talks drawn from 20 conferences and almost 2,000 security blog posts. As always, Thinks is happy to notify you when we release a new issue. Sign up at our homepage, thinks.com ts. This issue marks a year since our reintroduction of Thinkscapes, so it's important to reflect on the trends called out last year in greater cells than our predictions. Each trend highlighted in TS is noteworthy, either because there is new research area being explored, or because there is an uptick in momentum for a more well-trodden field. We explore the trends called out in the third and fourth quarters of last year, 2021, and see what work has been done more recently. Has that trend continued, or has it dropped off? To recap, the trends in TS quarter three of 2021 We're into the embedded realm, a trend of embedded or low-level research into more impactful systems as skills honed on junk hacking were applied to critical systems, defense, real-world defenses with high-quality empirical experimentation that supports the research, and exploiting differences of opinion, research into gaps between data recognition and parsing in complex environments where one component understands input differently from another. Following up in Q4, there's making servers overwork for fun and profit, a resurgent in research of workload attacks focused on algorithms or data structures, as well as putting more computational onus on servers that pay security dividends for clients. The Azure and AD beast, a trend of exploration and exploitation into Azure AD and hybrid environments. Analyze and fix, research into better analysis techniques that provide practical and real security improvements with fewer manual steps. And bridging gaps and making gaps. Research exploring the OT space as well as other novel network partitions and how to bridge them. In reviewing content for this quarter's edition, there were research publications that hit on every one of the above trends. While some of the trends are quite broad, the more narrowly scoped all have clear examples of current work being done a year later. This issue contains some work that would have fit into existing themes, algorithmic attacks, improved analysis tooling to explore novel vulnerability classes, and deep dives into the underlying hardware and protocols that power ubiquitous computing. In addition to the work highlighted in this episode, there was multiple talks at Hacker Summer Camp covering the AD and Azure Beast and OT-ICS networks. Areas that, with the benefit of hindsight, should have been called out sooner include attacks against CICD pipelines. Not only have these been used and practiced by attackers, there's also been some great work in this area dating back to the periods covered by last year's Thinkscapes. Artificial intelligence and machine learning's role in boosting low signal-to-noise ratio attacks. While this was called out in Q1 of this year, the work performed is broader than anticipated, including cross-modality side channels as well as improving the practicality of microarchitectural or speculative attacks. This theme has come into its own in this issue. Continue listening to find out more. 
And finally, increasing fuzzing's efficacy. While improvements to fuzzers have been highlighted, the collective improvements in moving from simply finding crash-inducing memory corruption issues to multi-bug class exploration engines was underappreciated. While research prediction is a relatively small part of what we do with Thinkscapes, we will challenge ourselves to do better. If you have any thoughts or comments, we'd love to hear from you at ts at thinks.com. Back to the present, the themes covered in this issue include AI ML boosted side channels. As previously mentioned, this has been seen before. This quarter, however, showed a significant uptick in the quality work that fits into this theme. By using AI ML models to pull out faint signals from noisy side channels, researchers can show real-world implications. This theme includes work in passively fingerprinting IoT devices, geolocating LTE devices, reversing an ML model from GPU's magnetic fields, and even determining what videos are being streamed to LTE devices connected to the same tower. Next, there's clever cryptography. Cryptography has been used extensively to protect and confirm the authenticity of data. Work highlighted in this theme shows other novel use cases or novel schemes that expand in how cryptography can empower users or put them at risk. From new privacy-preserving authentication schemes, time-lock encryption, an end-to-end encrypted collaboration suite, and ways that digital signatures can fail, this theme covers a lot of territory. The last theme is software analysis at scale. Software analysis is a mature field, but the work highlighted in this theme showcases larger scale analyses. By building tools that are easier to run on targets, more coverage and more bugs can be discovered earlier, hopefully improving security for all. This theme includes a hybrid static and dynamic analysis suite that can run on the entire Ubuntu repository, new tools that make it easier to test TLS libraries and find race conditions, and an automated analysis of code generated by AI assistants. And as always, we have this issue's nifty sundries. There were some papers that didn't fit into any specific theme, but were worth including. This quarter includes work on embedding malware into Docker, crashing hash tables, breaking AD and Azure synchronization, and a deep dive into Apple's new private relay. Diving right into it, let's start with AI ML boosted side channels. Our first paper is Analyzing the Feasibility and Generalizability of Fingerprinting Internet of Things Devices by Dalawar Ahmed et al. This work explored training an ML model on certain aspects of IoT network traffic metadata that would not be protected by encryption to then fingerprint those devices in large network traces. The researchers were able to confidently identify those devices from within large traffic captures even with the content of all IP traffic removed, simulating encrypted links. They were able to adjust the granularity of their detections to differentiate between different devices of the same model, or when examining a device that is not explicitly trained on, the model could attempt to determine the class of device or role it plays, like a smart speaker or a light switch. This is interesting because while there's ample concern regarding the privacy concerns of IoT devices from their vendors, this work highlights the added third-party privacy concerns. When applied to sensitive devices, like internet-connected medical devices, those privacy concerns can become very real. Next, there's Watching the Watchers, Practical Video Identification Attack in LTE Networks by Sangwook Bayetal. This research explored passively monitoring traffic patterns of nearby LTE devices on the same LTE tower to determine the video being streamed by a target device. They built a classifier that can identify the video based on the traffic pattern fingerprint that can be detected in the target's encrypted wireless downlink. HTTP Adaptive Streaming, the most popular protocol for streaming video, splits up the video into fixed-duration chunks that have different sizes due to the variable bitrate encoding. Therefore, each video has a unique, repeatable sequence of chunk sizes, irrespective of encryption. 
training a convolutional neural network on multiple video chunk sequences, and a model on the metadata of the stream, for example, number of chunks set at a time, both the video and the streaming platform can be determined with an accuracy of at least 90% from an LTE downlink trace from a video that it was trained on. Our takeaway from this is that wireless access is becoming the prevailing end-user network medium, so attacks like these will become increasingly possible. Even encryption of public data with recognizable traffic patterns cannot guarantee privacy if the attacker can observe those patterns. With enough training data and decision trees that combine multiple models, high-confidence privacy violations will become much more likely. Next, we look at an ML model inferring information about another ML model. In Can One Hear the Shape of a Neural Network? Snooping the GPU via Magnetic Side Channel by Enrique Maya et al. This work explored if there was sufficient recoverable data in the magnetic field surrounding the power cable on a GPU to be able to infer information about the ML model it was accelerating. With a low-cost sensor, the researchers were able to train a model on the magnetic field on their own test systems and GPUs, then with high reliability infer the network structure of a model on a victim system. This was successful against networks of varying sizes. The inferred network parameters were then used to create a surrogate model that, once trained, was used to build a black box adversarial attack. On simpler networks, attacks succeeded in more than 85% of the trials. Even on larger and more complex networks, the surrogate trained attack was successful more than half the time. We note that, if a short-term physical side channel can determine the network parameters, a more effective black box surrogate can be fashioned to target traditional adversarial attacks against the model. While the concerns of model theft exist, the ability to target a model for the duration of its deployment with only brief physical proximity is a real concern that has not been sufficiently considered. Last in this theme is LTRAC, Stealthy Tracking of Mobile Phones and LTE, by Martin Kudelak and all. This work looks at both improving the accuracy when passively locating an LTE device from within the same wireless zone or cell, as well as an active attack to de-anonymize a device with a low probability of detection. Using a combination of unencrypted metadata traffic as well as LTE's strict time division scheme to support multiple devices, a passive attacker, or one who doesn't transmit, can locate a device to a best within 6 meters or 19 feet. In order to prevent LTE devices transmitting over one each other, each is assigned a time slot to communicate with the tower. However, due to the time needed for a radio signal to traverse the distance from the device to the tower, each device communicates with the tower to determine its distance from the tower and uses that distance to calculate a timing offset for how early to send a signal for it to rhyme at the correct time. These researchers were able to capture that timing offset from victim device to determine a rough distance from the tower. The attacker then uses its own distance offset from the victim device to further refine the location accuracy within an ellipse. With this passive attack, attackers can locate a nearby device, but only have access to the temporary or anonymous identifier of the device. Past work to correlate temporary IDs with more permanent IMCs require the deployment of a fake base station, also known as IMC catcher, that could be detected. This work uses an overshadowing attack to only broadcast over a specific message from the tower with marginally higher power prompting the victim device to send its IMC. We have two takeaways from this. One, even with a highly secured mobile OS, privacy leaking attacks are possible within a certain distance due to the physics of wireless communication before a single OS function is called. If your adversary is willing to put devices in the field, carrying a phone in your pocket may not be the best OPSEC. And two, precise timing is essential to modern technology, and it's incredible how sensitive mobile devices are when laptops and desktops have clocks that drift enormously. Time reference devices are still expensive, between 5 to 10 US dollars, but GPS receivers are not. In the search for speed, security may be at risk to the attacker with the most accurate clocks.
On to our second theme, clever cryptography, which we kick off with Irma's IDMX core, Understanding the Crypto Behind Selective, Unlinkable Attribute Disclosure by Maya Ressner and Sets de Ringers. This research presents the details of Irma, a digital verification ecosystem built on the separation of issuing credentials and associated attributes and offering those to a verifier. Additionally, by using zero-knowledge proofs, data about the user that is not required by the verifier can be obscured, protecting end-user privacy. Irma offers protection against replay and linking separate credential sharing sessions while letting the user have a final say in what attributes, for example, that the user is over a certain age or has a specific degree, are shared with the verifier. A further advantage of this scheme is that there are two steps that can occur separately and in a more peer-to-peer fashion in the event of network disruption. This scheme is gaining adoption primarily in the Netherlands and is already spawning other research to verified identity, social networks, or those in which the anonymous user can post and sign the content to prevent it from being changed after the fact. Our takeaway for this is that privacy-preserving online identity and attribute verification can allow for many of the benefits of a national ID scheme and more connected local governments without some of the risks. A seamless method to have a government-issued ID online without leaking unneeded attributes could pave the way for identified or anonymous networks, cutting down on spam and misinformation. Next in this theme is CryptPad, a zero-knowledge collaboration platform, by Ludovic de Bost. This talk is about the design, development, and usage metrics of the open-source collaboration suite CryptPad. CryptPad is a suite of web-based tools that allow for collaborative editing and creation of documents, spreadsheets, code snippets, etc., all the while being end-to-end encrypted. Using client-side cryptography in the browser, the server acts mostly as a storage service and message router for encrypted blobs. We note that ease of use is a crucial feature for privacy and security-enhanced tools, especially those that are designed for user communication or collaboration. The adoption of these tools is governed by network effects. Even if there is a privacy-minded user who is an advocate for a tool, if the others who must use it find it too clunky or difficult, it will not gain the momentum needed. The usage metrics presented on CryptPad show that there is enough usage to continue to gain and retain users. Next, we have two papers by Yolan Rolmaner, DRAND, Publicly Verifiable Randomness Explained, and A Dead Man's Full Yet Responsible Disclosure System. In the first of these two related works, the researcher presents a distributed system that can provide public random values that would require a majority of the network to bias or otherwise influence. This is then built on in the second work to provide a novel capability of an encryption primitive that acts like a time lock safe, but without the expensive and estimation-based proof of work techniques. DRAND is a system that allows multiple parties that contribute to the network to input entropy from various sources, including true random number generators, and together generate a value every round, which is every 30 seconds, that can be verified and known as FAIR. Due to the thresholding scheme employed, a majority of the nodes, each run by a different organization, would have to be tampered with to alter the agreed-upon random value. Building on this in the second presentation, the author and their team are able to build a time-lock encryption scheme that allows for the protection of data until a specified future date and time. There are many proposed applications that use this primitive, including managing embargoed documents, publicly posting a time-lock coordinated vulnerability disclosure to prevent any influence from stopping disclosure after the notification window, and sealed bid auctions. While the DRAN feature is required for this is not yet out of beta, it should be in production later this year. We have two takeaways from these presentations. One, if these protocols withstand scrutiny as well as to continue to build momentum and confidence that they'll still be in existence in the years to come, the time-lock capability is a powerful primitive that will enable a multitude of interesting applications. And second, 
The idea of a public benefit distributed system to replicate public benefit single maintainer services, for example NIST's time beacons, is worth following. If some public entities join with private internet good Samaritans, it would decrease the risk of either unilateral subjugation for national interests as well as monetizing the service. To wrap up this theme, we have a trio of presentations all about signed code and data. First, there's OOPS, Code Execution and Content Spoofing, the first comprehensive analysis of open document signatures by Simon Rollman et al., then My Data in Your Signed Code by Alex Ivkin, and finally, Can You Trust a File's Digital Signature? New Zloader Campaign Exploits Microsoft's Signature Verification by Golan Cohen. These three research contributions highlighted issues with the current state of digital signatures and how edge cases allow for untrusted data to be bundled with signed data. The first two explored how different programs and system components handle data that was signed by multiple certificates. In the open document research, the diversity of readers for the format resulted in a diversity of behaviors when confronted with the non-standard signed files. In some applications, one certificate was used to validate that the macros were signed and thus allowed to run, while another certificate was used to ensure there was a valid trust chain to the document. This allowed a self-signed attacker certificate to sign macros that would run and appear to be trusted by a legitimate certificate. Similar behavior exists in Authenticode signed code, where extra, unsigned data can be wrapped into a signed binary inside of an attacker signature. While this trick doesn't allow for direct execution of the added data, the last research entry showcases how that is possible. In the third presentation, the author notes a strange finding in an active malware campaign, that the malware is apparently loaded only from signed code modules. As they dug further, they were able to see one Microsoft-signed application was running scripts appended to another Microsoft DLL. Apparently, in 2012, it was discovered that code signature checks would still validate even if arbitrary data was appended to the signed code. This was fixed for a brief window, then reverted back to the still currently vulnerable setting in 2014, unless certain registry keys are set. By updating the size of the signature and file checksum, malicious data can be appended to the signature section of code file, and the signature validation will still be successful. These papers highlight that, as application whitelisting and other controls and execution proliferate into modern operating systems, attackers will be incentivized to explore these types of piggybacking attacks and exploit the additional complexity in signature and certificate verification. Secondly, the end-user interfaces for understanding what is trusted, why it is trusted, and by whom are lacking in maturity. It is a near-impossible task for a user to determine if a file or program is legitimate and trusted by their organization, or simply signed by certificate in the forest of intermediate certificate authorities. Next, we go on to our last theme in this issue, software analysis at scale, starting with TLS Anvil, adapting combinatorial testing for TLS libraries by Marcel Marin and all. While TLS is considered a security baseline, flawed implementations undermine its promised security properties. Such implementation flaws result from the TLS specification's complexity, as well as the exponential number of possible parameter combinations. This paper develops both tooling and methodology for testing TLS libraries. This is important because testing cryptographic software is complicated and complex. This paper presents tooling and methodologies to help ensure the security promises of a given implementation are upheld. Next, there's Arbiter, Bridging the Static and Dynamic Divide in Vulnerability Discovery on Binary Programs, by Jayakrishnan, Vadaf, and all. This research looks at how best to combine the benefits of static and dynamic analysis into a single workflow while minimizing each's downside. Arbiter targets Linux binaries and does not need either source or for the binaries to be instrumented or even fully runnable. Arbiter focuses on vulnerabilities that are 1. Sensitive to data flow characteristics, 
two, have known sources or sinks for those flows, and finally, three, have aliasing determined by control flow to prevent needing the full application context. An analysis of over 75,000 binaries from the Ubuntu repositories found just under 1,100 possible vulnerabilities across four CWE descriptions. Manual verification determined that more than half were true positives and have since been reported, with the remainder either definite false positives or undetermined due to the complexity of the application. We have two takeaways from this work. One, as open source cyber reasoning systems mature, the simplicity of codifying a vulnerability into a more generic CWE-style description will tighten the timelines on similar bugs being found at scale. Tracking CVEs is no longer sufficient as a method to close the loop in software security. Machine-readable description like arbiters, code QLs, etc. are needed to keep pace with the volume of software development across the world. And two, the ability to scan for vulnerabilities across an entire operating system software ecosystem is a game-changer. Similar to tools like MassScan or ZMap, which can be used to measure internet-wide statistics about vulnerability exposure and patching, tools like Arbiter can track the improvement of software across whole ecosystems over time. Next, there's In Need of Pair Review, Vulnerable Code Contributions by GitHub Copilot by Hammond Pierce et al. This research explored the security of the code generated by AI assistant GitHub's Copilot. Copilot and other AI programming assistant tools advertise higher productivity by allowing an AI model trained on extensive code corpi to generate code within a developer's IDE. Going beyond autocomplete or other IDE integrations, these assistants can work off of natural language prompts and generate functional code in larger quantities than previous helpers. The authors notice a trivial SQL injection vulnerability in the AI-generated code. In order to scale up and measure the prevalence of such introduced vulnerabilities, the research team needed a way to check a large set of code samples for the presence or absence of a vulnerability. They ended up using CodeQL to statically check for specific CWEs that would be relevant to code generated by a number of prompts. The prompts also could be mutated to see if the wording or other small syntactic changes would influence output quality. The framework was used to explore the generation of almost 2,000 programs across three languages. Overall, almost 40% of the top responses, which a typical developer would use, were vulnerable to the expected CWE. It is important to take note that as tools like Copilot improve, AI-generated code will comprise an increasing portion of code bases. If those code bases are then open-sourced, they will be used to train the models for the next iteration of Copilots. Until there are better safeguards in place, the most prolific code generators will have an outsized influence on software quality across the industry. There are also other drawbacks to these types of systems. While increased speed of generating new code is a plus, in addition to the security concerns, there is a loss of understanding of the code base by its own developers, which will make future modifications much more difficult. Our next topic is Ned Williamson's Catch Me If You Can, Deterministic Discovery of Race Conditions with Fuzzing. This research looked to provide the foundation for more reliable and effective fuzzing of multi-threaded race conditions. While traditional fuzzers and testing can sometimes unearth the right sequence of inputs and get lucky with the scheduling to find these types of bugs, it is difficult to reproduce. What the researcher did in this work is convert the target to one using cooperative multi-threading, where the transitions between threads are deterministic as opposed to random. In this way, bugs are reproducible, and part of the mutable state the fuzzer explores is where these transitions can occur. While there is an uncountable state space for all possible interactions between multiple threads, this work allows for existing research on guiding fuzzers to include these interactions as opposed to randomly stumbling on them. In addition to the improvements of the fuzzer, a number of real-world bugs are explored. This approach is paying real dividends for bug hunters. This work stood out because while there is substantial research effort in the fuzzing community, 
it is a relative rarity for new classes of vulnerabilities to be detected. As this work is integrated into existing frameworks, it will allow for more effective use of the CPU cycles by covering more possible vulnerability types. Last up in this theme is Someone's Been Messing with My Subnormals by Brendan Dolan Gavitt. In digging into a warning about floating point subnormals, which are floating point values very close to zero, being replaced with zero, a behavior that can break certain numerical algorithms, the researcher ended up exploring the Python dependency ecosystem. Due to the design of floating point architecture hardware, the floating point behavior is set in a CPU register for an entire thread or process, so a single dependency that enables it via compilation flag will change the behavior of the entire process. Looking at his Python process, there were over 150 libraries loaded, of which one or more was changing the math results for them all. The researcher was curious about how prevalent this behavior was across the Python ecosystem, especially in popular packages. PyPy publishes a table of all packages available along with their usage metrics, and with a script to look for machine code that enables the floating point optimization, this pipeline can identify if a library was causing the issue. Next, the researcher ran this pipeline on the entirety of the PyPy repository. With a list of all packages that enable this behavior, the last step was to look for libraries that imported any of these packages. Google's depths.dev provides a sample of packages that depend on a target, so a wider list of imports that would trigger this behavior was gathered, a number of which were in the top 3,000 of popular packages. This was interesting for two reasons. First, that these contagious libraries could change the behavior of other third-party or even first-party code are another threat of deep dependency trees. A more rigorous exploration of how an imported library can alter behavior of co-loaded code would likely uncover other subtle ways that libraries are never directly executed can subvert software. And second, the amount of effort that the author went through to answer these types of questions highlights the challenges facing concerned end users who are trying to understand their software supply chain. Most of the hype regarding software build materials misses the build and compilation information that would capture this type of issue. Hopefully, a future iteration of software supply chain management tools will take this into account. We close with nifty sundries. First, we have attacking Azure AD by abusing the Sync API, the story behind $40,000 in bounties by Nestori Cinema. This research explored the possibility by which local on-premise AD credentials are synchronized with Azure AD directory. Azure AD Connect is a service that runs on the on-premise network with high privileges to push changes in the local environment to Azure. The credentials for this service are available to local system administrators, and then can be used from anywhere to change the passwords, display names, etc. for both local and cloud-only accounts. There was an implementation flaw that allowed for the modification and or deletion of Azure AD global administrators, essentially locking out an organization from all their cloud resources. It's always important to note that having multiple authoritative sources of credentials exposes a wide variety of gaps for attackers. The handling of the report and the subsequent discovery of a fixed bypass does not inspire confidence in the overall security of a hybrid authentication environment. While the benefits of single sign-on from a usability perspective are clear, the complexity needed to seamlessly support the feature is likely to cause future issues. Keeping a single authoritative source may be safer for the time being. Next up, there's Patrick Saddlers et al. towards a tectonic traffic shift, investigating Apple's new relay network. This paper takes a close look at Apple iCloud Private Relay Service, currently in beta. Their specific aim was researching the impact this service might have on network measurement-based research. The team was able to perform passive monitoring as well as ingress and egress observation to determine maps and models for the relay network. Additionally, they were able to identify changes in the architecture as it was observed over time, as well as third-party vendors supporting the service. 
We call out this work because this service is planned to be enabled by default. Once it's out of testing, this may have a large impact on traffic routing, performance bottlenecks, fraud detection, and other network characteristics. Alex Hope provides our next feature, hiding malware in Docker desktop secret virtual machine. This research looked at how to persist on a Mac OS system for an extended period of time in a challenge called Don't Get Caught for a Year. Looking at the software stack installed at their organization, Docker Desktop stuck out. On non-Linux systems, Docker transparently installs a host Linux virtual machine to fork containers from. In this VM is a service container that provides a number of convenience features. That container has a configurable runtime environment that is run in the service container. Arbitrary code can then be run within that container that by default has full access to a majority of the host OS file system. While the code within the container has access to the host OS file system, it is difficult to introspect into the state of that container. This means that malware running within the container does not need to add complexity in terms of evasion or other anti-detection techniques. The task of AV or EDR is already challenging before adding in the semantic gaps created through multiple OSs and containers. While virtual machine introspection techniques could provide insights into the operation of the containers, ever more convoluted tools to simplify packaging and deployment of software will continue to obscure what is happening on your computer. We end with two papers, Orange Size, Let's Dance in the Cache, Destabilizing Hash Tables on Microsoft IIS, and Using Trader to Tame Adversarial Synchronization by Yuraj Patel et al. Each of these presents a modern look at algorithmic attacks with the former both a denial of service and remote authentication bypass in Windows IS servers, and the latter being a denial of service on shared data structures in the Linux kernel exposed to unprivileged containers. The first work shows three attacks against Microsoft's IIS caching capabilities, a denial of service in the hashing algorithm that with 30 requests per second can turn a server unresponsive, a differential on how two components in the IIS stack handle identifiers to cache, allowing for an attacker to poison the cache for others, and a method to brute force the basic auth password validation scheme. The second looked at how unprivileged multi-tenant Linux container applications could impact one another by synchronization of shared resources. Specifically, this work explored the critical sections of accessing hash tables with linked lists shared in the kernel. By creating a user space file system, the researchers could create collisions in the global inode hash table, resulting in inefficient allocations in a very long search time while holding a global lock. While a true multi-tenant container environment is rare, usually VMs separate tenants, this work highlights the risks of relying on the good behavior of all processes when it comes to synchronization. We like this research because algorithmic attacks are often overlooked as low impact or difficult to put into practice. These publications show how denial of service attack can be made impactful or even go beyond denial of service to access violations. It's likely that the vast majority of data structures courses hit upon hash collisions as non-malicious concern and therefore software is not built around the asymptotic worst case. In conclusion, this quarter covered a large amount of research publication venues. The sheer quantity of published work speaks for itself. In the course of the past year on Thinkscapes, readers have seen new research areas sprout from one or two papers into full-blown themes with growing momentum. Three themes were highlighted in this quarter's edition. One, AIML boosted side channels and data analytics. Two, clever cryptography and some subtle bugs and signatures and three, scaling the breadth and depth of automated software analysis. Next quarter, we'll likely see a reduction in the quantity with the holidays, but the amount of high-quality blog posts is unlikely to slacken. Check back next quarter for insights into work that is well-publicized, as well as highlights that may have been missed. This show is made possible by Thinks Canary. Know when it matters. 
To learn more, check out canary.tools.